you would, take out the Word of God and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're nearing the end of this series through 1 Peter <clears throat> that we've called Dispersed. And you can find uh, study questions, uh, application questions to help you apply the sermon, uh, to help you think through the passage of Scripture at Ashland Church slash blog. Uh, we try to put up questions, or we're trying to put up questions each week there. Also, on the back of the Ashland Bulletin, there's a place for sermon notes and a place for you to write down. Uh, maybe there's something that, that you want to apply to your life this week by the Spirit of God. There's, there's opportunity to do that. And so we want to make those things available to you. Uh, we want to be a people of the Word. And that's what we want to do here. Uh, we, we want to love the Word of God. We want to know the Word of God. We don't just gather for an event. We gather to celebrate the gospel, to hear from Christ, and to be changed by Christ, by the power of His Spirit, according to His Word. Uh, and so we, we want to challenge you to know the Word of God and uh, to dig in. And so there are some tools to help you do that. If you would, stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word today. Hear the word of Christ, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Oh God, we pray that you would help us understand the gravity before us, even as we read these words that we are in a war. We are, in, we are on a battlefield. There are forces that are raging all around us. And yet, because of the gospel, we are kept safe in Christ. He holds us fast. And God, help us to humble ourselves and realize that during this time. God, may the word of the gospel make sense to us. May it change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who is the most humble person you know? I know everybody thought about me, especially Danae. I was the first one that popped in her mind. But who is the most humble person you know? Think about that for a minute. For me, I have a grandfather who there is no one more humble and kind and gracious than he is. And I've seen it his whole life. It actually, just a few years ago, ago sort of popped up and I was like, wow, this, is, this, is, this man is literally the most humble man I know. I've seen him live a life nearly 85 years in humility. It's convicting how humble he is. Now, think of the most prideful person you know. Now, some of you may have thought about me. <laughs> but that person who is just consumed with themselves. The world revolves around them. They're so prideful, they think they're humble. Who is that person that you know? Now, probably most of us 
Um, not many of us thought of ourselves as the most humble person we know. And if you did, immediately, you're not the most humble person you know. <laughs> and probably very few of us, some of us, may have said, I am the most prideful person I know. The most humble among us probably said that. But that, those questions get to the heart of what humility really is. Humility is to accurately assess yourself before God and others. To have a proper view of yourself. To rightly understand your place in the world before God and before others. To, to really understand who you are. And, and to think of yourself rightly. Here's the issue. You can't think of yourself rightly. You can't assess yourself rightly alone. You have to have God and you have to have others to properly understand who you are in the world. And, and in our section today, as we get to the end of 1 Peter, remember Peter's writing to Christians all through Asia Minor, all through the known world who are suffering persecution. Many of them are losing their jobs. Many of them can't show up at family reunions anymore because they're Christians. There's scandal that surrounds Christianity that doesn't allow them to function in society. They are outcast. And, and it, you would think, why would he have to tell them to humble themselves? Would suffering not humble them? Would there not be humility involved in such suffering? And the catch is, when we suffer, during those points, we are most likely to become prideful. Because when we suffer, we so often say, I don't deserve this. When we suffer, we so often don't rightly understand ourselves before God and others. Why is this going on? And Peter says, as you suffer, I want you to step back and remember who you are. Remember your place in the world as exiles. This world isn't your home. You've been given a kingdom. Remember who you are before God. Properly, rightly see yourself in light of the kingdom that has been given to you. You may not deserve to suffer, but you also don't deserve the kingdom coming to you. You don't deserve any of it. And so humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before others. And verse 5, he talks about humility that only happens in the context of community. Notice verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger. Now I realize, now that I realize, I, I've got a different Bible up here. So when we began earlier, I read the wrong verses. So go back to verse 5. <laughs> verse 5. I was like, this doesn't sound right. I'm off here. Verse 5. Humility in community. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. He says, likewise. Remember last week he talked about the shepherd. The shepherd has to be humble. The shepherd has to understand that he is a Christian before God, first and foremost. And he has to shepherd from the gospel. 
He doesn't shepherd to gain an identity. He shepherds because he has an identity in Christ. And his only hope is the gospel. And so he turns to the church and he says, Likewise, you who are younger. Now here he refers to actually the younger folks in the church. And why does he have to do that? Because younger folks don't understand humility. When we're young, we think we know it all. When we're young, we think we have all of the answers. And he says in the context of suffering, if you are young in your faith, if you are young in age, you're going to have to submit. Notice he says submit to the elders, submit to the pastors. And here there is a willful, intentionally placing yourself under the authority of another. When we talked about submission earlier in 1 Peter, it is this understanding where you are in order. Understanding your place in line. It is a military term where you put yourself behind a commander. You put yourself behind a leader. You make a decision to follow someone else for your good. And he says you're going to have to do that in the context of the church. And that's why he follows up here. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. He says humility is like putting your clothes on. It's an intentional decision to do something. And just as essential as it is to get dressed, in the context of the church, humility is just as essential. You have to have humility in the context of the church for the church to live, for the church to be on mission. It is as essential as getting dressed. And so he says, clothe, walk, make a decision to be humble. But notice how he describes it. Toward one another. Humility always has an outward focus. Humility in and of itself can't be just this individual pursuit where you're alone and you say, I'm humble, I'm humble, because you don't ever talk to anyone, you don't do anything for anyone. That's not humility, that's cowardice. Humility understands who you are before God who you are before others. The world doesn't revolve around you. And so you have an outward focus. And he says, be humble, clothe yourselves toward one another. And what he describes here in verse 5 is the intentional accountability that we're to have with one another in the context of the church. This isn't passive. We're a part of a community. We're a part of a family. And we intentionally humble ourselves toward one another. We make ourselves accountable to one another. And so as we talk about humility, humility is cultivated in the context of community, in the context of church, in the context of church accountability. Your pride is more evident to me than my pride. My pride is more evident to you than it is to me. And that's why we need one another. That's why we humble ourselves to one another. and We say, how am I prideful? How am I exalting myself? How am I being a jerk? How am I thinking the world revolves around me? You tell me. Humble yourself to one another. So you are accountable to one another. In meekness, we surrender our rights uh, so that others may correct us. In the context of the church, in love and grace and mercy, it shouldn't be a context where we just always hear what we want to hear. Where the counsel, where we go to people and we say, hey, I've got an issue, I need your advice, but what we're really wanting is them to just tell us what we want to do anyway. No, 
I'm prideful. I don't understand myself before God and others. I need your help. And I need your accountability to show me how to live out the gospel. And, and even here in this verse, we see why the church must be multi-generational. Ashland is never going to be just a college church. Ashland is never going to be just a senior adult church. It's not. Because we need multi-generational accountability. We need older folks to tell us, it's not as bad as you think it is. You're not as busy as you think you are, it only gets worse. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. We need older folks to walk alongside us and tell us that because we don't have it all together and we don't know it all. And guess what, older folks? Some of y'all don't like me saying older folks. I don't know what else to say. I've tried seasoned saints and everything else. But some of us are older. That's a good thing. We need, younger, we need younger folks to tell us, hey, you didn't always do it the right way. This is how we're going to reach the nations with the gospel. And we got to humble ourselves to that motivation, to that mission. We need that vibrancy. We need younger folks who risk their lives for the sake of the gospel and older folks who pay for it. But we need that accountability to one another on mission together. It's why the church should be multi-generational. It's why your humility will never happen outside the context of church membership. It just will not. You will not be a humble person before God without local church membership. You need to forgive others. When you, and you have no choice but to forgive them. When you're in a covenant... In a local church, you have to forgive others because you've committed to doing it. And you have to ask for forgiveness of others, which is humiliating. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. That should happen all across the board in the context of a local church. You, you are covenant together to have to do that. And so it cultivates humility in your life and an unwillingness to submit to that is a mark of pride in your life. So, we also need folks in the context of the church to hold us accountable, not just for our sin and our struggles, but you need to be accountable to others to point out the gifts you have. Some of you are so prideful, you don't think you can do anything for Jesus. You're so prideful, you're like, what can I do? And you need folks in the church to say, here's how you can serve Jesus. You are wonderful with this. Have you ever thought about serving Jesus in this way? You need folks in the context of the church to show you how to do that. And so you humbly submit yourself to the accountability of a community. This is where humility is cultivated. But next we see humility before Jesus. Notice, <clears throat> for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This word oppose here means he sets himself against. He is at war with the proud. Pride, the exalting yourself in the place of God. That's what pride is. To, to think this is your world, to, to forget you are a creature in God's world, to think the world revolves around you and to take the place of God in your life. And here he says God opposes that. He's against it. He's at war with it. There is conflict with God and the prideful. But notice the counter. 
but gives grace. Undeserved favor despite what you deserve. You deserve God to be against you because of your sin. But notice, if you are humble and you properly understand who you are before God and others, He gives you grace, unmerited favor, despite the fact you deserve for Him to oppose you. Notice, in pride, you say, I deserve it, and you don't get it. You don't get grace. In humility, you say, I don't deserve it, and you get it. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride here is the root of all sin. It is the root of your greatest problems. You think you're God. You think you can call the shots. You think you're king. And that's what sets yourself against God. That's where the tension in your life exists between you and God. Because God has made Jesus king. Jesus is God's king and there are no others. He is the one who rules the world. He is the one who is exalted. And when you make yourself king, you are at war with God. You are opposed to God. He has exalted Jesus as his righteous king who saves. And he will not let you be king. And that's good news because you can't. You don't have the capabilities of being king. You can't save yourself. And this is why humility begins in comparing ourselves with Jesus. To compare yourself with Jesus. Don't compare yourself with others and say, I'm humble. Compare yourself to Jesus. Jesus is God's king. And if you want to be humble, you begin by comparing yourself to his righteousness. And understanding, I don't have the righteousness that I need before God. Jesus is king, and Jesus is God's righteous king. Just for a moment, compare yourself to the power and authority of Jesus. Jesus is God's ruling, reigning king back from the dead. Think about that. He has defeated sin and death on the cross and in the resurrection. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is fully sufficient. He rules the universe, and you can't balance your checkbook. Some of you can't decide where you're going to lunch. He knows everything about the future. Compare yourself to Jesus. Compare yourself to God's authoritative king who rules the universe and you can't control your emotions playing a video game. Pick up basketball game. You, you don't have control. And Jesus rules the universe. And humility begins by saying, I'm not Jesus. I'm not king. Compare yourself to Jesus' righteousness. Some of us were born in a Baptist hospital. And we put that on our resume. Baptist from the day I was born. <laughs> if you're like me, you were in church the first Sunday you were born. Went to RAs. Mission Friends, Training Union. Some of you don't even know what that is. Training Union. Sounds really odd. Infuge, Youth Group. You have this long religious resume. BFG, Deacon. You have all of these, these things that you've done for God. But compare them for a moment. All the ministry you've been involved with, mission trips, campus ministry, all of the things you would just hold up as good things you've done for Jesus, good things you've done for God, and they are good things. 
But if you're trying to compare them, if, if you're trying to produce humility in your life, compare them to Jesus. Jesus who is fully righteous inside and out. He is not tainted with sin at all. He is perfect on the inside. He has always done what is right outwardly. He is perfect inside and out. He obeyed the holy, God, holy law of God perfectly. He didn't, he didn't sin in one way. Never sinned before God. Fulfilled the perfect law of God. And God declared that to us by raising him from the dead. You know why Jesus was raised from the dead? Because he was perfect. Because he was righteous. He didn't deserve to die. Everyone else who dies stays in the ground. Because they're sinful. And unless they're in Jesus, they'll never be raised from the dead. Jesus is raised and seated at the right hand of God to say there is no sin in him. He is perfectly and he is fully and he is finally righteous before God. Compare your, all your little religious trinkets to Jesus. And the writer of Isaiah would say it's like, it's like filthy rags. A better translation, but not the best translation. I can't use it this morning because there are kids in here is that your righteousness is like dirty toilet paper before God. To, to say, God, look how good I am. Would you accept me into your kingdom because of all these religious things I've done? It's like holding up dirty toilet paper. Compare your righteousness to Jesus. You want to be humble? Compare your righteousness to the King of glory who is perfectly righteous. It's like John Bunyan said, the best prayer I've ever prayed had enough sin in it to damn the whole world. You're not perfectly righteous inside and out. Even your good deeds are tainted with self-centeredness and pride. But notice the grace. You deserve to be opposed. But when you humbly say, I'm not Jesus, guess what you get? Jesus. You get that righteousness. That righteousness is credited to you. When you say, I'm not righteous... The, the one who obeyed the law perfectly is perfectly righteous on the inside, inside and out. His righteousness is given to you as if you're him, even though you're not. If you would bow and say, I'm not Jesus, I'm not king. Guess what? You get the kingdom. You get the grace of the kingdom. You get the grace of his righteousness. When you say, I'm not king, I'm not righteous. You get it all in him. Notice verse six. He says, humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Notice again the word humble. It means to rightly assess yourself, rightly see yourself, rightly understand who you are in the world before God and before others, rightly understand who you are before Jesus. He's king, he's perfect, you're not. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's a picture here of his power, of his authority, the mighty hand of God. What if God had a hand? How powerful would it be? Mighty, all of his acts, the, the way he's carried out human history, the way he orchestrates everything on a daily basis. He is powerful. He is sovereign. Realize that. Understand who you are before this mighty God. And notice again, the promise, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Do you see it? Do you see the grace and humility? Do you see the grace you get in humility? 
Do you see the judgment you get in pride? You're opposed to God. You'll be crushed by his mighty hand. But if you humble yourself before him, oh, you get grace. And here, even more, you get exalted. The language here is of the kingdom, the inheritance that we get in Christ, the power and glory of God that has been displayed in Jesus for us the one who came to earth and he displayed the kingdom's power. In Jesus, they said the kingdom is at hand. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He controlled creation to give us a picture of the kingdom that is coming, a window into what is coming in a world with no sin and no death. That is the mighty hand of God in the person of Jesus. He's displayed for us. On the cross, he, he paid for our sin. He defeated sin and death. And, and here Peter says, if you would humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that has been revealed in Jesus, the kingdom, you will be exalted in the kingdom. But you got to bow before the kingdom. The kingdom will destroy you if you don't bow before it. But if you do bow before it, you will be exalted in the kingdom. And he points here at the proper time. That's very important in this section. At the proper time, he will exalt you. And so we see humility submits to God's power as well as his timing. To trust his power is also to trust his timing in all things. You see, God doesn't give us all the answers. He doesn't tell us the time in which everything in our life is going to happen and how it's going to happen. Nobody does give us a cross and a resurrection to say, you can trust me. I've defeated sin and death for you. Therefore, you can trust me with everything else. Do you see how that works? If you would bow before the mighty hand of God and the cross and resurrection, then you can trust him in all your other anxiety and the timing in which those things will happen. Here's the deal. In the kingdom, all of your needs will be met. All of them. Not every prayer you pray will ever be answered. Not, not every one of them will be answered. But in the kingdom, all of your needs will be met. All of your needs will be met at some point in Jesus. If you die, you go to be with the Lord. All your needs are met. If we're here when Jesus returns, the sky opens up and he comes and rules and reigns, all of our needs are met in the kingdom. All of our needs will be met. We just have to trust him for the proper time. And the issue here is if you trust him to die for your sins and raise Jesus from the dead, you can trust him with all the other time, with all the other events, with all the other meeting of your needs. Humility says if I trust him to forgive me of my sins, I can trust him to heal all of my diseases in the proper time. He may heal them now if he wants to, he may heal them in my death, but I know in the coming kingdom they will be healed. Humility says, I trust him. If I believe he raised Jesus from the dead, I can trust him with the job. I can trust him through the adoption process. I can trust him with the marital conflict. I can trust him in finding a spouse. I can trust him in the promotion. Why? I trust him to die for my sins. I trust that the resurrection is true. I believe I have a kingdom coming. So at the proper time, he's going to meet all my needs. Humility trusts him for the proper time. 
Humility trusts his timing. And that's why he says here, casting all your anxieties, verse 7. Literally, it means throwing them, shifting them on to him. Your anxieties. Everybody here today is full of them. It's that wasted energy that we have in our gut, our emotions, our mental energy that's always just going, going, going. You know what you're doing? You're grasping for control you don't have. It's not there. And you worry. You're full of anxiety. He says, take all of those things and cast them on him. Because he's mighty. He's powerful. He knows when everything's going to happen. You trust him. You trust him with all of that. You cast all of your anxieties on him. But notice these beautiful words. Notice them. Let them sink in as we read them. Why would I pray? Why would I cast my anxiety on him? Why? Because he cares for you. You get that? He cares for you. He cares for you. He's concerned about you. And we see what prayer is here. Prayer is the declaration that I'm dependent upon him. It is the act of humility in the Christian life. Are you humble? Do you pray? The extent you don't pray is the extent you're prideful. The extent you do pray is the extent you're cultivating humility. Do I trust God? Do I pray? Am I humble? Do I trust God? If I do, I will pray. But notice how this is phrased. He is concerned about you. He's not concerned about the act of prayer. He wants you to pray, but he wants you to pray because you trust him. And because he's concerned about you, he knows the best thing for you is to trust him. And if you trust him, you will pray. God is concerned about you. And the extent that you are praying is the extent you are cultivating trust, which is what he wants most from you. The extent that you are honest about yourself and you say, I'm weak. The extent you are humble, you will pray. We could say this. The refusal to pray in the Christian life is the Christian acting like an atheist. That's when we act like an atheist. Do you get that? Because you haven't humbled yourself to say there is a God in control of this. Is there a mighty hand controlling all of this? The extent that you don't pray, you're acting like an atheist. There is no God. There is no one to trust. There is no creator who is ruling, who is reigning, who is sovereign over all of this. I'm king. I'm powerful. I can control this. And you're acting like an atheist. We would also say refusal to pray is the Christian acting like an unbeliever. You might say it that way. It's you acting like an unbeliever. To, to rightly assess yourself before God is humility. For the Christian, when you... Think about who you are before God. Who are you? How do you rightly assess yourself before? How do you see yourself before God? You know what the gospel says about you as a Christian? That through faith in Christ, you are in Christ, and the Father sees you as Christ. 
That's how you assess yourself before God. That's how you see yourself before God in the gospel. This is why for the Christian, in Christ theology, in Christ theology is so important for you. To understand when you believe the gospel, you are in Christ. Therefore, you have all the rights and privileges Christ has. And for the Christian, if Jesus has fellowship with the Father, if Jesus can cast all of his care on the Father because he loves him, because he cares for him, for the Christian, that's why you pray. That's why you pray. Because in Christ, you have all the rights and privileges that Christ does. You have access to fellowship with God. He loves you the way he loves Jesus. That's why Jesus prayed, is because he knows the Father loves him. He knows the Father is concerned with him. The orphan has no inheritance, has no identity. The orphan has no father to run to in prayer. And so when you don't pray, you're acting like an orphan. You don't see yourself rightly in the gospel. You don't understand God's love for you. You want to develop a better prayer life? It's not schedule it, plan it, make it a priority. All, you got to do all those things. But if you want a better prayer life, sit down and remember who you are in Jesus before God. Contemplate the love God has for Jesus, which is in him the love he has for you. And so in turn, you're going to pray because you have a father who cares for you. You have a father that loves you, a father who wants you to pray. Trust that praise is not trust for trust's sake. You don't just go, I trust God, so I'm going to pray. Just some sort of grip from within you to trust and pray. No, trust that praise is not trust for trust's sake. It's trust from love's sake. Do you know why Jesus prayed in the garden? Because he trusted the Father and knew he loved him. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is praying so fervently, his sweat turns into blood. His anxiety, the stress of the moment runs down his face in blood. And he is screaming, not my will, but your will be done. Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want it. I can't bear it. Not my will but your will be done. He trusted the Father. That's why he was praying. But it wasn't just trust. He knew the Father loved him and would raise him from the dead. That's why he marched forward. Jesus prayed because he knew the Father loved him. He trusted him because he knew his love for him. In John 17, 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am and see my glory, see my power that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus suffers on the cross because he trusts the Father and he knows the Father. What does he trust about the Father? He trusts the Father loves him and he's going to raise him up to the love he had before the foundation of the world. And that's why he prays. 
Parents, you, you don't fix everything for your kids or you shouldn't fix everything for your kids. That's bad parenting. But when you don't give them what they want, your motivation isn't to push them away from you. It's you know what is good for them. And you really want them to trust you and be drawn to you. And the same thing with God. He doesn't fix everything for us. But that's not to push us away from him. That's to draw us to him. And like Jesus, we say, I don't know. I don't know why you're doing this. But your will be done. And I know whatever you do, it's going to be out of love. I know whatever you do, it's going to be out of love. There is a pride that sees suffering and chaos as judgment in our life. A lack of love. Some of us struggle to pray when we suffer because we think God is judging us in our suffering. We think he's pushing us away in the sickness. We think he's pushing us away in the stress and anxiety. When the loved one turns away and says, I don't love you anymore and walks away, we think that's God's, God judging us. And so we don't trust him. And so we don't pray because we don't think he loves us. For the Christian, there is no condemnation left for you in Jesus. None. It's gone. It has been obliterated on the cross. And so whatever God is doing in your life right now, the struggle, the difficulty, the suffering, it's not because he doesn't love you. No, he wants you to come. He wants you to come and pray. He wants you to remember who you are in Christ. You are a child he loves deeply. And he knows the best thing for you is that you would trust him. The best thing for you is you would believe the gospel and believe in the gospel's timing. And you would run to him in prayer and say, no matter what, I know that you love me. And this is why humility is cultivated by diving deep into God's love for us in Jesus. You will not submit to God as a son if you don't trust him as a son. And you will not trust him as a son if you don't believe he loves you as the son. You believe he loves you, you trust him. And so you pray. This is why we cultivate humility by staying close to the cross. You know what you see at the cross? You see the most prideful person you know being crucified in the most humble person you know. That's what you see at the cross. You see this amazing love for you in Jesus. You see God's love for you. And it cultivates trust. And it cultivates prayer. Casting your care. If he would do that for me, then I can trust him in everything else. And so you pray and you cast your anxiety on him. You see the cost of your sin, which is humbling in itself. I know much of what drove Jesus to the cross to die for me. I'm, I'm aware of some of my sin, which is horrific. What I know about my heart and my mind is horrific in and of itself. And then there's sin that I don't even know about. There's sin that I can't even see in my life. And it took the sinless, infinite Son of God to pay for it. How could you stand before the cross and be prideful? How could you stand before the cross and not see yourself rightly? In the cross, you see the most humble 
man dying for the most prideful people. In the cross, you see yourself as the proud person being opposed, the proud person being opposed and yet getting grace in the same moment. God is opposing your sin on the cross while he's giving you grace. And so you humble yourself before the cross as a sinner being judged, but as a son being loved. Do you see that? Do you see that at the cross? You see, some of you here today, you're trying to get closer to God by doubting that's true about you. You're doubting. You're you're doubting God's love for you at the cross. In love, God sent Jesus to be condemned for you. And you spend your life condemning yourself. And there's this twisted thing, this prideful thing happening with some of you today is you think that's humility. You think it's humble here today to say, God couldn't love me. You don't know all I've done. You're right, I don't. But God knows every bit of it. He knows more about your sin than you do. And he sent his son to die for you. And it's not humility to reject that love, it's pride. It's pride because you don't see the infinite love of God and how it could happen. And yet that's what makes God's love so amazing. Despite what you've done, despite what you've deserved, He, He would still love you. He would still send His Son to die for you. You're opposing God in pride and that's why you're rejecting grace. Don't do that. In humility today, say, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, I'm not king, I'm not righteous, I'm not sufficient, and by the way, I'm not humble. I'm not Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, in Christ, you are credited with being the most humble person you know despite being the most prideful person you know. Let's pray.